The Plan with Callahan podcast is brought to you by Kirby Callahan Wealth, a practice of Northeast Planning Associates. Financial planning is hard. Let them make it easy, one step at a time. Financial planning offered through Northeast Planning Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. Northeast Planning and LPL are not affiliated. Now, on with the show. Let me have your attention for a moment. Because you're talking about what? You're talking about... Mm, Money, money, money. Ah, high finance. (laughs) Bulls, bears, people from Connecticut. That's as good as money, sir. Those are IOUs. I'm Tommy Callahan, Big Tom Callahan's son. You like Huey Lewis on the news? Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Plan with Callahan podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Callahan. I'm almost speechless right now, which, you know, is almost impossible for me, but I'm jacked up. We have a guest today that I'm beyond thrilled to introduce you all to. I'm sure you remember those Under Armour Click Clack commercials. The last sound you hear before you step on the field. Click Clack. Yeah, that that's how I feel right now. I got those pregame butterflies, because today I get to introduce you to a man that, first and foremost, I respect. This man is not self-proclaimed. He is critically acclaimed. Uh, And if you know me personally, um, I can be quite the critic. His main goal as a real estate professional is to be certain that his clients feel valued and well-informed. He understands the real estate process, and he knows that it can seem to be complicated and often difficult to navigate for buyers and sellers But because he's lived in the greater Boston area nearly his entire life, he's become extremely familiar with the distinctive neighborhoods in various landscapes, which make greater Boston such a wonderful place to live. His work ethic, attention to detail, and his ability to be completely transparent are second to none. And he always has his finger on the pulse of the residential real estate market, which is why he's so valuable to be a contributor to this podcast. His firm, Longwood Residential, opened in 2011, and in just 12 years, they've already amassed over $200 million in total sales volume, and they've really emerged as a fan favorite boutique office. Now, some say this man went from rags to riches. I just say he went from nashy to classy. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct honor to introduce you to my good friend and real estate professional, Mr. Andrew Patterson. Thanks for taking the time, Andrew, and welcome to the Plan with Callahan podcast, my man. Thank you, Ryan. What a uh, wonderful introduction. I don't know if I'm worthy of that. That was fantastic. What an awesome You deserve it, dude. You deserve it. Um, I know that you're a busy man, and again, I I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Let's start from the beginning, as this is your first episode on the podcast, but I highly doubt it's going to be your last. Give us a little background on you personally. I want you to tell our listeners about your beautiful family, how you got into real estate, and what the experience has been so far for you. Absolutely. And uh, just want to take a time here and just first and foremost, thank you for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, The respect, as you had mentioned for me, it's mutual. I think you're one of the best guys I know, so... Um, as far as the real estate, as far as my journey in real estate, it started back in November of 2013. 
Um, and I've been now, so this is going to be 10 years coming up at the end of the, the middle of November of this year will be 10 years. Nice. Um, I, it's been, what a journey it's been. Um, a lot of highs, a lot of lows and, you know, the, the learning curves getting to where I've, you know, where we've come as a team now has just been, you know, astounding to me. You know, it started off when I got into real estate <clears throat> back in 2013, a lot of my business was heavily centered on, you know, rentals and, getting familiar with the business, getting familiar with the industry, getting familiar with, with the process and just understanding what was against, you know, what, what I was up against essentially. And as I've come, as I've gone further into my career, I've realized that what we're doing here in real estate is just simply helping people make one of the biggest decisions of their lives and how we go about that needs to, you know, we, we want to make sure that me included that the process seems like you had mentioned in the, in the beginning, you know, how it's, <clears throat> you want to simplify the process for the consumer to the best of your ability. Yeah. You want to make sure they feel comfortable in their own, especially when they're up against buying, you know, multi-million dollar properties in some cases. And you want to make sure that with it being one of the biggest decisions they're ever going to make, you want to make sure it's the right decision and you want to guide them the best of your ability. Yeah. And I feel like in the years that I've been in the business, I've learned to perfect that process for these people or at least to the best of my ability. So, no, I mean, that's, you know, you started 10 years ago and I'm sure in the beginning, right. Like, like me, I'll just also use myself as an example. You know, I started a wealth management practice from zero and I'm still building, right. And I'm still grinding and I'm still trying to provide that great client experience for my clients as well. But it's nerve wracking because you didn't have a salary. You didn't have benefits. If you had a lean year, you start to second guess, right? Is this is this for me? I'm sure you probably felt that way in the beginning. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there was times where, and like you said, you don't have, it's all, it's feast of famine is what it comes down to in this business as far as the, 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 the finances are concerned. No health insurance. It's definitely kind of a scary venture. I had transitioned from sales pretty much my entire life, you know, managing retail, cell phone locations and things like that. And what kind of drove me to this business is, my whole, since I've been able to work when I was whatever age, 14, 15, I've always tried to make an, wherever I worked, whether it was Dunkin' Donuts, my first job, or whether I was managing a Sprint store in the Native Collections Mall, all the way to my real estate career, I've always wanted to do, give people the best version of myself. How can I impact people? What can I do to bring the best me to them? And I just feel like it just takes experience, trial and tribulation. You got to learn what what the business entails to be able to offer people that high quality service that we do. And like you said, it, it is nice going from humble beginnings because then when you actually start making an impact that you're looking for, if it, it's all that much sweeter, you know, it really is. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, and you probably see this, right. Especially in your business. And I, and I see it in mine as well. You know, you can, you can get into a full blown sales position with no salary, no nothing. And maybe you have a couple good years, but then when it gets lean, people leave. And I think you see that with wealth management. You see that with real estate. You see that with mortgage lenders. I mean, I when I first got out of college, that was right after you know, the housing market had really taken that massive turn during the subprime crisis. And I had some buddies that were a few years older than me that graduated right from college in like 2006. They started writing mortgages. They're making an absolute killing. And then the housing market turns and they weren't writing mortgages anymore. So I think there's also a testament to you for hitting that decade mark, seeing a lot of different kinds of markets. And, you know, now it's, 
you've set up yourself, man. You're on a great team. And, you know, I'm just kind of interested to hear like where you are right now, like how you probably look back when you first started and you're like, man, I know so much more. It's so much different now than when it was when, when you first started. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, and it's good to have seen several different markets. Most of the markets I've seen since I've been in the business have been on the up and up. Typically, like I, I, because I got into the business in 2013. So the last real major correction or crash I wasn't involved with, which I would consider 2008 when they were writing subprime loans for everyone and anyone. You know, that's, I, I talk to a lot of, I'm always constantly wanting to learn. So I talk to a lot of agents who have been in the business for decades and decades and decades, longer than we've been alive. And they'll often say, you know, this is just how it works. It's a cycle. There's going to be good times. There's going to be good markets. There's going to be bad times. There's going to be bad markets. It's just the way the it's just the way this business works. You know, there's no way to avoid it. Oftentimes, what people confuse though is that with these corrections, I'm going to use the word market correction versus crash because I think that's more or less what we're in right now. But hmm. there's just like in any other security or investment, there's opportunity to be had when markets are distressed. You know, and what so this whole transition in the last year or so has been kind of interesting because sell, it has been such a dominated seller's market for a couple of years on end. And then when the rates had went up, you know, that the kind of the inventory kind of had been limited, obviously, because of what had happened with the pandemic for the last three years. So it was kind of like the perfect storm where sellers weren't their expectations hadn't been set correctly. So they had still been thinking that it was the market that it was in 2019, 2020, and it's just not the way it is. And that's kind of what had happened. And a lot of the properties that you see sitting on the market now are typically going to be sellers that had it priced for what it was seven months ago versus what it is now. Yeah. And that's kind of where experienced agents can come and play is you can help these sellers and your clients, you know, correctly modulate their expectations to understand what the current market calls for and how to, what the best approach is when it comes to listing the property, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it's interesting, right? Like I don't have, you know, my feet on the street, like you do meeting with investors and um, buying and selling property, but I do have obviously connections through REITs and things of that nature and, and certainly understand where the real estate market's heading, but that's almost more from like a, commercial standpoint, you know, on the residential side right now, I mean, what, what are you seeing? I mean, has it been that drastic of a change or has it been a little bit more mild than maybe what you had originally expected? To be honest with you, the way that it's kind of, the way that it's panned out here, I'd say that it was, I, I think it, it didn't, it's not more than I thought it would be, but it's kind of right on par to what I saw coming in the, in the previous months. The rates kind of obviously dictate you know, the buying power for people, for clients, right? So if, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just the rates that affected people's buying power, as you know, being in, you know, being in your industry, you can see that people have taken a lot of hits in the last couple of years with their portfolios and stocks and, you know, whatever their securities that they're invested in. And, and a lot of people have been limited already prior to the rates going up with their buying power just because of the way the markets are. Right. So it's, it's kind of been the, the writing has been on the wall for, you know, a couple of years now, in my opinion, but as to the extent of where it is now, I don't think it took me by surprise. I don't think, I think I kind of saw it coming to a certain extent, to be honest. Yeah. And I, and I think too, you know, the fed is obviously doing what they're trying to do, which is 
curtail inflation without totally disrupting the economy, but it's not perfect, right? It typically takes, you know, a year to see what the impact has been of one interest rate move. And, you know, they moved rates seven times last year and they moved interest rates again at the beginning of this year. And it looks like they're not going to stop, you know, really anytime soon. Um, but as you know, and I'm curious for your thoughts on this, you know, I know that you weren't in the market in, in uh, 2008, but I'm sure you're familiar with what happened. Um, all those, right, ninja loans, no income, no job, robo-signing, all that stuff that was going on, which you really do look back in, in hindsight's 2020 and you're like, how could you ever think that that wasn't going to blow up? You know what I mean? And exactly. now you look, though, there was oversupply back then. And now there's, I mean, is there still ridiculously limited supply right now in the housing market? It's incredibly low. That and that it's and that's been that way now going on. Like there have been like 20, 30 year lows. It depends on obviously it depends. It's such real estate situational. It depends on where you are geographically. But we'll use Boston as the as the benchmark here, obviously, because that's where I work out of. As far as inventory is concerned, it's hit historical lows in the last, you know, six to nine months. Um, and that's been a major problem as uh, not a problem, but it's been a major issue for buyers because it's just, what can you do? You're when, when the inventory is limited and the demand is high, it's going to create incredibly competitive, you know, temperature. Right. So it's like that, that's kind of where the standstill has been. It's, it is because of the inventory and that's what real estate, you know, experts and, and whoever have you is predicting is if that inventory will go up to where it needs to be to satisfy the demand that's out there right now. And that's the main question is that's, that's the million dollar question is, will the inventory be there? And to be honest with you, I can see it already ticking up to, you know, I can already see it getting to where it needs to be for the spring market. So. Well, and, and I'm interested in like what you're doing because it's the greater Boston area. So correct me if I'm wrong, you're doing a mix of, like individual single family properties, but then you're also doing multifamilies, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Anything that falls under the residential. And, and, and there are times that we venture into commercial, but for the most part, I'd say 95% of what we do is catered for the residential market. So that's condos, single family, multifamilies, um, you know, anything in the sphere of people living in, 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 in their homes, you know, in any capacity for, or for investment. So. So I think a lot of people have the dream of, you know, those who were getting involved in Southie early or people that were there just by their parents being there, right? Like I have uh, colleagues who do wealth management down in the greater Boston area. Obviously I'm up here in Southern New Hampshire, but they're like, yeah, I'll have someone walk into my office with a check for a couple million bucks and how they make all that money. Well, it's the house they grew up in. They grew up in, you know, the Southie projects years and years and years ago, 30, 40 years ago. And those properties have obviously appraised, you know, a tremendous amount because of the gentrification that's happened in those areas. And yeah, there's a lot of people out there looking at, I know, the northern area of greater Boston, and they're trying to find those pockets where it's like, what's going to be the next Southie? I mean, are you still seeing opportunities similar to what happened in Southie over the last, you know, 25, 30 years? Are those still available in other pockets of greater Boston? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'd say that for like, cause obviously most areas in Boston, it doesn't matter where you are in the city, what area you live out of, you know, people want to be in that city. And it, it makes, it, whenever you have some of the best hospitals and best schools in the world, naturally that's going to attract people to your city. Right. So it makes perfect sense. To answer your question, it, it's a, as far as like spots that you can get where it's, 
or areas where you can still see value or, you know, a decent return rate. Um, I'd say areas like Hyde Park, Mattapan, um, Dorchester, not so much. There, I mean, there are areas in Dorchester, like Savin Hill, for instance, that, you know, the, the prices per square foot are a, a much higher, obviously, than they were just 10, 15 years ago. Same thing with Somerville. You, you mentioned gentrification. Somerville is one of the hottest, one of the hottest cities in the area to live in. Yeah. With Assembly Row and all the and the casino being right across the river, like that is a, a ton of points of interest, a ton of things, a ton of good schools, Tufts. So it's just, and and to think thirty years ago, East Somerville and Winter Hill. I mean, it, that goes without being said. It was, uh, it was definitely, it, it's come a long way from where where it was. And people want to be there wherever there's going to be a wherever there's going to be a lot of value as far as the city is concerned when it comes to infrastructure and hospitals and schools and whenever cities do those things right and have the best of the best people are always going to want to live there that's just the way it is they want to be as close as possible and that's what and that's what that calls for you know well i think you make a good point too on the healthcare because i did hear a story that uh obviously the patriots uh re-signed bill o'brien as their offensive coordinator and um I guess one of the biggest reasons why he wanted to get back to Boston was for the healthcare because he has a son with special needs. And even when he, so he was the head coach for a while for the Texans. And then um, he ended up most recently, he was uh, the offensive coordinator for the university of Alabama. I guess his wife and family, they stayed in Houston because they had better hospitals there than they had in Tuscaloosa. And so again, I think it is just something too, where, you know, Obviously, I don't think anybody foresees the healthcare system in the greater Boston area uh, changing anytime soon. Um, so I, I think it leads into kind of another conversation that I think a lot of our listeners would be interested in. My heart really goes out to first-time homebuyers. I just remember when I got out of college, I lived it back at home for, I think it was maybe eight months max. And I was like, well, number one, I got to get out of here. You know, I can't <laughs> live back at home. Uh, but that was when the real estate market had bottomed and I ended up buying a three family home and, and lived there for some time before I eventually ended up selling it. But are there opportunities still out there in some of the areas that you had just mentioned uh, to purchase multifamilies? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, There's never a wrong time to buy real estate. That's kind of my rule of thumb. T. Harvecker said, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. And that, and that has always held very true to me. It's it, the, the problem is, is that when you, people are expecting deals, right? You want to get the most value out of whatever property you buy. And sometimes it, it's tough to do that. That's why there's other methods that, you know, real estate professionals can do, whether it be bringing off market properties to people um, or just giving them as many options and opening the scope for them as much as possible when it comes time to look for search. And so for instance, if we're, my team, by the way, the Reynolds Group, Longwood Residential, absolutely can't say enough good things about my team and who I work for. Nick Reynolds has been just such a tremendous help to me in my real estate career. Um, and, you know, we've built this five. At this point, we have five people now, four agents and one, you know, admin that we have. All fantastic. Um, it's such a pleasure to work with these guys. They, they're, they've been just wonderful. Um, but to what I was saying, to my point, is that when you have an agent that you trust and confide in, they open that search for you. Like a, a, my team is based out of Medford and we're one of the leading premier groups through premier agent on Zillow. 
And so a lot of buyers, first time home buyers in particular, we, we work with and they'll think that they want just one or two areas. And then after you talk to them and you understand what their wants and needs are, you can open the scope a little bit and offer other opportunities, other cities, other areas that they might be interested in because they might not be from the area. Not everyone is from, not everyone that wants to live in Boston is from Boston or not everyone that wants to live in Medford is from Medford. Right. And that's when it comes into, that's when having a local experienced agent comes into play. Like we can give people the down low on where the best schools are for their children or where the, you know, wh whatever they need to be centrally located near, that's what we come in handy for. That's what a real estate agent's main purpose is, is to, is to match make the best property for that person's needs and wants, you know? And that's what we do. Well, I think I love I love that line of don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. Um, that's a great line. And yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I have three boys. If they were, you know, 22 years old right now and just getting out of college, I would be a huge advocate for them to look into the opportunities in multifamilies just as an owner occupied way to get yourself some real estate. Number two, you know, learn how to be a landlord. Learn how to deal with people. Learn how to work with people. You're going to go through tough times where someone's not paying their rent. You got to deal with that situation. A pipe's going to burst. You know, something's going to happen. You need to learn how to deal with that situation, whether you learn how to do it yourself or if you have to hire someone to come in and handle that. And, and you know, at the second point, it's like, it's kind of like the stock market, right? When I talk to clients all the time, you can never guarantee anything, but at least you can tell them the history of the market. And it's like the history of the, you know, real estate market, the average return is about 4.16% per year. And you know that, okay, look, even if you're going to buy a property right now, let's say, you know, you're buying a multi, you know, in Mattapan and you're doing it, you're, you're owner occupied, you're living in one of the units, maybe it's a three family, maybe it's a duplex, whatever, but you're getting that rental income and it's paying off your note and you're living rent free and building equity. Even if we did go through an unforeseen 2008 all over again, for whatever reason, if you're going to be in the property for an extended period of time, not that it doesn't matter, but you're giving yourself the opportunity, um, you know, to withstand that storm. Um, I'm assuming that a lot of home buyers that you're working with, they're not looking to flip within one year, right? Are they looking to hold those multis for income for an extended period of time? Yeah, most of most of what we get is usually buying holds, um, and there obviously are, I'd say, vast majority too are owner occupied situations that, like you said, are trying to get the best rate, offset cost, offset the mortgage, try to live for free make as much money as possible in the, in, you know, obviously on the back burner. Um, and then you're right. As far as the rate of return too, I mean, uh, we, we, I know we're not going to get too far into that today. We'll talk about that in future conversations, but the higher the rate of return, the higher the cap rate is typically going to be higher, the higher the risk or the, what, for whatever, for whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, I'd say a vast majority of our first time home buyers that especially that are looking for multis are looking to get the best rate of return the, and the and the highest and the most value they can price per square foot. There's a lot of metrics involved with when you buy real estate to look out for that can be indicators of where where the property stands as far as attractability, right? Attractability. So it's just you know it, that's where we guide them and help them into making these decisions and and just be there with them every step of the way to kind of you know that's what that's like I said. I mean people overcomplicate this. What we physically do as real estate agents is. Is the physical aspect of it, if we take a key, we open doors, hey, look at this. But the real part of this business, the part that doesn't get shown on TV shows is 
when people are are questioning whatever the case may be with the sale, whether it be the financing side of it, you know, is this the right fit for me? Is this neighborhood going to be good? Being able to be there hands on in the field, helping these people make these decisions or work through these decisions is what we really do. That is the real job at hand is to guide these people and make and guide these clients and make sure that they understand exactly what they're up against in every and any situation. And that's kind of where I feel like we do the best, you know, in, in what we do. So, well, I mean, like you said too, you know, getting at capitalization rates and all that, that's why I'm looking forward to doing future calls with you. I know that you, you just got recently back from Manhattan, right? Yeah, I did. We, my, uh, Nick, Nick Reynolds, the uh, team lead and then the owner and broker of the office had uh, essentially taken us, uh, gotten us all tickets to this, uh, it's called Inman Connect. It was a three-day seminar in Manhattan where we got to see a lot of high-profile people give their advice and take on the industry. And it was really helpful and insightful because there was just so many people that shared the same sentiment. It's like, no one wants to think that there's just going to be this endless doom and gloom, right? We all want to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So to be in a room with 2,000 people, that are optimistic and really feeling good about the up and coming market was a, was a breath of fresh air for me anyway. You know, it was nice to see that there was such optimism for the industry. So. Well, one of the things I learned early in my career, you know, and I've been on the wealth management side for about 13 years is that if it's obviously going to happen, it obviously, it, it doesn't. Um, I'll give an example of like when we bought our home. So we relocated back to new England, bought in Southern New Hampshire in Nashua and it was 2018. And I just remember saying to myself, oh, like, as much as you give out advice, you still have your own emotions and fears and all of that. And you're like, oh, God, I think we're buying at the high right now. But it's OK, because I know, like I tell all my clients, you know, I'm going to be here for the next 25, 30 years at least. I'll be able to withstand that storm. And then who knew that COVID was going to happen? You know what I mean? And, and property yeah. values went through the roof tremendously. And now I look and I just... Thank God for how blessed we are that we actually have a home. We're able to get it at a good interest rate. And there's actually been some appreciation in the equity. And if you asked me in 2018, if I thought that was going to happen over the next, you know, four years, five years, I probably would have said no. So yeah. again, it's, you know, that's why you, you do have to believe in, you know, the benefits of compound interest and really how this all works. Uh, and again, I think for the young folks, especially, uh, it's obviously harder for those who are first getting married, trying to have a family. They want to have their own, you know, single family residence. But for those coming out of college, uh, young professionals, whatever, you know, not even professionals, just young folks who are working. Um, I, I think that owning um, multifamilies, it's not not even for the investment side. I think for the life skills that you learn as well through that process are huge. And if you want to hold it, hold it. If you want to sell it, sell it. But it's a great way to start before you maybe make that massive purchase of buying that quote unquote dream house uh, or or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sure. I think people when people think of the American dream, what's happened, I think, in my opinion, is that people often visualize and fantasize about the finish line. Right. They think about themselves and their you know, multi-million dollar house in their beautiful neighborhood with their family that's already you know grown up and went to these prestigious schools, people often, what people don't think about though, is that journey to get to the finish line. The journey is my favorite part. It's, you know, and for good, for better or worse. Right. And it's, and I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I think people, I think the, the buying, the buying process is incredibly invasive. It can be stressful. 
expect and usually it happens like you said when people are getting married and starting to have kids and the world all the components of their life are moving are not standing in place they're all moving around there's a lot of variables going on and it's just to to be there for people in their times of need is what makes this all all worth it right in the for instance the pandemic when 2020 that was one of my best years in real estate and a lot of people which is crazy i mean it's crazy to think that and say that but it's the truth that was one of my better years in real estate and a lot of real estate agents had been sidelined because they were you know obviously concerned about the the threat at hand at the time was covid and it just my my team and i we 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 made it our a, a point to to make sure that we could be there for our clients and help hand on no matter what was going on it just it was you, you got to put the client first and that's what we did. And, and in times of turmoil, I mean, it will show you who, you know, who will be there and who won't, you know, and it's, it's important to see. So. Well, there's, there's so many, you know, analogies you can use, but one of the best ones I saw was just the example of the iceberg. You know, you see the tip of it and that's the success. What nobody sees is all the, you know, cliche blood, sweat and tears that you put into it to get there. And I know that you've been doing this for 10 years and you got, a super long career ahead of you. You also have a family you got to take care of. So uh, how is everybody doing? Oh, everyone's great. I have Marcella. My wife, Marcella, has been fantastic. She's an absolute rock for me. Um, and she's been there for me almost every step of the way. We've been married now seven going on eight years. I have two beautiful children, Ada, my daughter, my son, Max, who was just born just uh, just under two years ago. And uh, we're all doing really well. They, that's the best part of my day is going home. No matter whether I had the best day at work or a day that I'd like to forget knowing that I have my family to go home to is just so special. It means so much to me. It's what I live for. I mean, that's what, this is what I live for is to be there for my family and help, help guide them and help watch my kids grow. And, 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 and it's just, you know, it, it's really nice to come home to just wonderful supportive people. And I know you feel the same. Your family is just amazing. Every one of your family members, I, I think is just awesome. Congratulations right. to Ashley, by the way, on her recent award that, I saw that the other day too. I was, yeah, we both uh, we both outkicked our coverage, dude. Um, we're uh, we're very lucky to have awesome wives, and obviously, you know, Ashley, she's a rock star as well, and um, she's worked her tail off even through you know three pregnancies and all of that, and she was able to get some recognition there, which she definitely uh, deserves. So I'm, I'm super happy for her. So thanks for saying that. Um, for you. for our listeners, just so you know as well, because again, we're definitely going to have Andrew on future podcasts to get more into the nitty gritty about some opportunities, uh, strategies, things to consider when it comes to buying and investing in real estate. Um, Andrew is an avid basketball fan. Uh, first off, Andrew, have you taken eight out of the Y lately? You guys running any ball there? We have, we absolutely have. I've been, uh, I've been running, running with her as much as I can. You know, it's, uh, she loves it too, man. She enjoys it. She's starting to venture into dancing too. So I'm not going to be as help. I'm not going to be as a helpful of a hand with dancing as I am with basketball, but, uh, <laughs> I'll still help her in any way I can, you know, but no, she's dancing she bear, dude. Don't you go, uh, <laughs> I still have a lot to learn in that department. My wife, every time a every time a good song comes on to dance to, you'll find me hiding behind the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, I am curious because we have a couple minutes left here. So obviously, sure. uh, LeBron James just took over the scoring record. Uh, he's the leading scorer in NBA history. So I got to ask your opinion: Who's number one, LeBron or MJ? It will always be MJ. Yes, I don't think that's my man. 
it's not going to change in our lifetime. I, I'm very happy for LeBron, and I don't agree with everything he does on and off the court, but he, he's done a lot of good things. But here's the thing. People negate, neglect to acknowledge the fact that they're 13th in the West right now. They missed the playoffs last year with a team that was assembled to slated to, to essentially win it all. When that team was put together, there were, you know, some of the best in sports analysis in, in the business were saying, oh, these are the guys to beat. This is the team. That, and they, they missed the playoffs. And now they're 13th in the West. And now after the moves that just happened last night, I mean, with with the Suns acquiring Durant and Kyrie going to Dallas, I mean, the West is getting shaken up. They're going to have their hands full, man. They, I don't know if his – I don't know if he's going to be able to play with Bronny the way he's thinking he's going to, but we'll see. We'll let's hope the best for him, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, it's, I got a very close friend. I've known him since, you know, uh, we were in seventh or excuse me, since we were in fourth grade. Um, and he's a diehard LeBron fan. And so, you know, he texted me the next day, you know, that, you know, that that's not the sole reason, but that certainly put him over the top is why he's number one in Jordan's two. And I was like, dude, first off, let's just have a conversation about a couple things. Okay. First off, let's look at the difference in the physicality of the game when Jordan played relative to when LeBron played. And he tried to go down this whole diatribe about how well, first, LeBron would run through Kevin McHale. LeBron would run through, you know, Bill Lambier and all those guys. And I'm like, dude, wait a minute. I'm like, you're talking about how someone physically looks versus the toughness of somebody. And if you can't admit that the NBA in the eighties and nineties was way more physical than it's been in the 2000s, you're just lying. And again, that's not to discredit LeBron and everything he does, because I think when he like says that I, because I, first off, yes, I am not a fan of LeBron personally. I just, he's not my cup of tea, but it doesn't mean that I don't respect his game. And it doesn't mean that I don't think that he's number two. It's just that for me, like just look at the amount of seasons Jordan played 82 games. He had nine seasons with 82 games. He had two three-peats, and that was in between him taking time off to go play baseball. So it's just like he wants to talk about talent. Like, buddy, LeBron played around a bunch of talent, played in the East for years. That he, he texted me again today, and he's like, yeah, see what I'm talking about, talent? Look at the road that LeBron has to go to now that Durant's on the Suns. I'm like, dude, they're five games under 500. He wasn't going to the finals whether Durant went to Phoenix or not. What are we even talking about? Exactly. So, okay. Exactly. People yeah. don't want to acknowledge that. And people don't want to acknowledge that. They, he's Here's the thing. LeBron's an absolute specimen, Absolutely. right? And no one's taking that away from him. Like, the, his physical, like the, his his size and his talent has never been a question in any of these conversations. It's exactly what you said. It's the underlying factors. And I think when you add everything up and you, and you weigh them out and you see side by side exactly what the accomplishments were and what period of time – I find it I find it offensive that this conversation even has to happen. <laughs> I, yeah, to be honest with you, MJ is so far above and ahead of where where LeBron is as far as accolades is concerned that it's it confuses me when people have this conversation. LeBron should be getting compared to Kobe before we talk about MJ. You know, that's my my two cents. But well, in the leading scorer thing, it's like I know that the older generation, there were a lot of people out there that thought that um, you know that um excuse me i'm even drawing a blank right now that kareem abdul jabbar excuse me yeah um you know was the greatest of all time but in my generation growing up i don't ever remember you know kareem abdul jabbar being considered the best player of all time i don't remember people saying that carl malone because he's the third in point scoring that he was the third best player of all time it's like again what what lebron has done is unbelievable the longevity of his career you know 
any, any look, it's not just offense. He's a great passer. He's a great rebounder, all those things. But when you're talking about the ability to close, I'm taking Michael Jordan all day and twice on Sunday over LeBron James. And that to me is the difference. And you see that in the championships. I could not agree more. And that's the name of the game. That's the name of the game. Basketball is a team sport. There's five guys on the floor at any given time. So, you know, it's nice that he and I and congrats to him. I mean, that's a, 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 to break that scoring record is an accomplishment that very few, if any, will 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 meet. But at the end of the day, it's a team sport, and I, I I'm more focused on if I was in that position, I'd be more focused on how to better the Lakers' position to making the playoffs first of all. And then once getting there, actually doing what I was supposed to do and winning games and hopefully get into the championship. That should be the goal. The goal is to win in any sport, not even sports, in anything in life. Like, you want to win, right? Like, it doesn't matter how special one person is. If your team is losing games, what good does that do you? How, how you know, how does that help the franchise? How does that help the, you know, that's my two cents. But not everyone feels the same. It's, you know, I, but yes, Jordan, without question, is the better of the two. Well, again, you know, I love having you on this, man. I'm looking forward to future episodes. Clearly, Andrew is not just an expert on real estate. He's an expert on the NBA, on basketball. He knows his stuff. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I think that the value that you're going to add to this podcast is going to be great. And I'm just looking forward to doing future episodes with you. So thanks again for hopping on, buddy. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It was an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to doing this again in the future. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. You bet. So, ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Andrew Patterson, again, so excited to uh, have him on this podcast. I think he's just going to be a wealth of uh, information and knowledge, uh, specifically tying to real estate. He's got some great stories. He works with some very interesting clients. And I'm really looking forward to those future episodes. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we have some more guests that are lined up here that we're going to sprinkle uh, along the way uh, on future episodes. But uh, as always, make sure that you are avoiding the noise. You're staying on your plan and never stop learning. Until next time, take care. The comments on this podcast are that of the participants and should not be viewed as comments made by LPL Financial or Northeast Planning Associates. Content on this episode should not be considered investment advice, but strictly as educational information.